are live with the 12th episode of the Business We've Chosen podcast. Our guest on the show today is on Twitter at Poisson Sports. Uh, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Phil. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, how's it uh, going today? How's it going today? Well, um, I'm here in Boston and we have nice weather, so that, that's a first. It was raining for the past couple of days. Nice. Are you like going outside a lot? Are you staying inside most of the time? What's the living situation like in Boston right now? Uh, I mean, I, I go outside. Um, yeah, I mean, I go outside when it's warm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not when, outside, I feel pretty safe. I wear a mask, but I think even out, I think outside wearing a mask might be a little overkill, but you kind of need it anyways, because if you're ever, like going to go inside anywhere for just a minute, you want to have a mask. Right. Um, so what's the... So you are fairly new to betting on sports, I would say, even within um, kind of like my sphere of sports betting, where I'm fairly new to betting sports. Um, how did you, you kind of have like a unique way you got into it. How did you start betting sports? Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I started, I, I'd say I've been betting sports two and a half seasons, too seriously, a half season, not too seriously. Um, I mean, how I got into it was, um, I was kind of looking for a change. Um, I, I, I was working as a software engineer, but my, my background and training is fairly quantitative, fairly mathematical, actually. Um, and I kind of wanted to use those skills. And, you know, for a long time, I wouldn't say I'm a big sports fan, actually, but I've always been kind of interested in, like, the modeling aspects of it. I mean, to the extent that I would, like, you know, look at computer ratings and stuff like that. Um, but anyways, um, you know, gambling always seemed fun and always had in the back of my mind the idea that maybe gambling could be like a new thing to do. And I, I wanted to like, at the time, maybe two or three years ago at the time, like, and this is probably still true, that like, you know, um, if you're looking for new skills, people are always like hyping data science or, or whatever, machine learning, data science, or whatever. I mean, as, as something to do. And I wanted some project to at least, you know, play around with that stuff. And I would say, I would say ever since college, um, I've always had the idea in the back of my mind that, and I had no good reason to think this, um, honestly, I just kind of assumed it, that somehow sports betting was a, a doable thing. I mean, I knew, I knew that like, you know, if you were just like doing it, like without any effort, of course, you're just going to lose the handle. But I, I kind of felt that like if you put real effort into it, there must be something to it. Um, so two or three years ago, I decided to use um, basically college football and then college basketball as sort of like uh, test projects just to like learn some data science stuff. And, um, and of course, I always wanted to compare it to the market to see like if I was actually doing anything new, because um, I mean, you know, it's very easy to come up with an easy, with a simple model that will have some predictive value, but it probably won't actually predict anything that no one else already knows, right? I mean, even without a model, right? You know, if you're a fan, you, you know which is the better team. You might have a gut feel about how much better they are. Um, so it's definitely a lot more interesting if you have something to compare it to. Um, when you were comparing it to the market, how were you physically doing that? Like, how did you even know what the market was, or did you just Google sports betting line or do you see it in the paper or like someone tweeting a popular line? 
No, I, I Googled sports betting line and I found some websites that had historical lines. So that's what I used to compare it to. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that, that was basically what I, I just scraped old lines. I mean, I mean, I certainly was familiar with, the, with, with um, what a spread was and a total was, even though I hadn't really bet much. I didn't, I can remember, I didn't really know what the juice was. I can remember looking at those web pages and seeing like the minus 115 and the minus 105 and being a little confused what that was. And in fact, I don't know when this was. I want to say this was maybe five, six years ago. I went to Vegas, not to gamble, just to have fun with some friends. And it was for New Year's. And the Northwestern, I'm a big Northwestern football fan, they were playing in a bowl game. So it was an opportunity for me to place a bet. I can remember the board saying something like minus 110 and being like, what does that mean? I mean, when I went to the counter and placed the bet, the guy explained it. But but I remember that. And then I forgot what it meant until uh, until I got into sports betting. Nice. Um... So you were looking at historical lines. What was the chronology of that story you just told? I thought you said that you would kind of like make your numbers and look at the market, but then you said you were looking at historical lines. How would you look at the live lines? Or are you only talking about a like oh, back this, period? You weren't doing this live or correct. This this was historical back testing. I, I was yeah, I was I was looking at historical lines for his for historical predictions using data that is hopefully from the past, you know. Try to be careful not to like, you know, accidentally have future data leak into my predictions because everything I was doing was in the past. So of course that's a big thing to worry about. Okay. Um, so you kind of just jumped right in to like your I'm gonna try the sports betting thing was like a very formal, like I'm gonna get deep into it. Yeah, I would say so. Actually the first thing I wanted to do, which I never really succeeded at, was um I think it was a coworker of mine had told me about parlays and that I had realized that like they priced parlays as, as if they were like completely independent events, which, you know, for the most part they are, but there are exceptions to that. So the first thing I tried to do is I was curious if I could find like parlays that might not be independent and they would have, you know, and even, and, it, and since I knew it in that case, it's like, if you can find things that are independent and I know how they were pricing them, like I didn't really need any historical data for that. Cause I mean, I knew that they didn't take into account, you know, any correlations between them then I would automatically have an edge. Although I, I mean, the only thing I came up with was what I learned, what I soon learned was like well-known and they had stopped letting you do years ago, which was, you know, the obvious thing between like, you know, college football, like an over and like say the favorite or something like that. It's like, but that didn't even take a model. I kind of figured that one out just in my head. I'm like, wait a second, why did they let you do this? And then I realized they don't. Right. <laughs> so how'd you, how, why'd you pick college football and college basketball? Just because you followed college sports vaguely via Northwestern? Yeah, I, mean, I picked college football because I did call, I mean, I did call, follow college football pretty closely because I'm a big fan. Uh, and then I switched to college basketball, not because I'm a fan of that, more because it's just so many games. And I figured I would have a better chance at like figuring out an edge on a, with a bigger sample size. Okay. And so now how... How did your approaches to college football and college basketball differ, or it sounds like they might have been identical? No, no, they were, they were definitely different. Um, I, I, I had some ideas for college football, and I tried them, and I back-tested them, and I was sort of like, was it working? It was like, maybe, but barely, and like with the sample size, it was kind of hard to say if it was working, and even if it was working, you wouldn't have been able to make much money. So I was like, well, why don't I try the same ideas with 
college basketball, where at least I'll have a, you know, I'll have a bigger sample size to see if they're working. And sort of when I tried similar ideas with college basketball, I was like, yeah, I don't think they're working because, you know, the sample size now should really show us a, a signal. But then I just kind of moved on from there and came up with other ideas. Gotcha. Um, so then you started posting on betting talk college basketball picks, right? Is that when you yes. kind of first became like, how, how long did it take you to get to the point where you felt pretty confident you were winning, you're betting it yourself, posting it on forums? Clearly, you thought the stuff was good. Was that quick? Did it take years of practice? Did you, did you win for a few years before you even posted on betting talk? Um, what was that sort of deal like? <laughs> no, no. So I, I bet a half a season before that at, at much smaller amounts. And I mean, the main thing was, the main thing I was looking at was, you know, the obvious was closing line value because I kind of knew based on my back testing that I would get a lot of closing line. Well, actually, I don't really get that much closing line. I kind of knew how much closing line value I would get. And, and to me, this was a good thing because like, even if it wasn't necessarily so much, I knew exactly how much I expected to get. And it was sort of like an easy thing to measure, right? Like it's harder to measure ROI. It takes a larger sample size, but I could at least see if I was getting the amount of CLV I was expecting. And I was, so I'm like, okay, I think I didn't screw up. I think at least, to, I mean, obviously I just can disappear or, you know, there's all, all sorts of reasons why, you know, things don't always pan out, but I kind of felt like there was a reasonable chance that I was going to win. So I just started posting because I had at that point knew enough to know that like, if I wanted to bet any, any reasonable amounts of money, I wasn't just going to be able to log into like uh, bookmaker bet online and just like, you know, bet any arbitrary amount of money. I, I, I already figured out like just by reading that like it wasn't that easy to bet large amounts. So I figured networking was going to be pretty important. And that seemed to be, I had heard that betting talk was a good place to like meet people. Okay. So it was more of like, uh, I'll post some stuff and hopefully meet some people type thing. How did it work? Um, the posting, you just like start some forum. You're like, here's my college basketball stuff. And then the results were good and people started following or it just kind of seemed, it seemed to me like it just kind of took off. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I mean, I, I know on the betting talk forums, they have like, a bunch of rules they want you to follow for how you keep records, which all makes sense to me. You know, they, they don't want you doing any, they don't want you having any correlated plays. I mean, I basically just read the rules and uh, stuck to them. And uh, yeah, people start to notice. Um, and, and, and I mean, unfortunately the books noticed pretty, the places where I was betting noticed pretty quickly too. Like, you know, the first week of betting, I was able to bet pretty much any number, any amount I wanted at any time. And then by like the second week, they were already moving the lines on me. I was like, wow, I knew that would happen eventually, but kind of didn't expect it to be that quick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So now, now that you're, once you got a little bit more established, were you just betting college basketball only and working on that? Or you were still doing the football? Are you still doing both today? Um, I'm, I'm probably getting college football at some point, but, uh, I, ha I haven't really gotten to college football much yet. Um, I, I mean, I've branched out into some other basketball. I'm, I'm currently working on a sport that I, I probably won't say won't say yet, but it's like not all related to any sport you would expect, I don't think. Um, okay, very mysterious. But, uh, nice. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not that mysterious. I just, I just, I just not feel comfortable to say yet. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean. So far, I really only bet basketball and basically college basketball and a bunch of international leagues. And I've just 
there's a bunch of college basketball stuff I want to work on for my model as currently that I've just sort of set aside um, that I hopefully will get to soon. But yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done golf or any other, any other uh, big sport yet. What are, um, what's your, pro- what's your day to day like during the college basketball season? What time are you like waking up? When are you betting stuff? Uh, how does the process work for you to like, and make the bet, get the risk down, and like, how are you following it during the day? Uh, what's what is your like approach to day to day betting? Yeah, I so so for college basketball, the approach was um, basically wake up. I'd say at eight a.m. Eastern. I think, um, although I think for most, a bunch of the stuff I was betting, I wasn't really able to bet until like ten a.m. or eleven a.m. Um, and I, uh, I mean, I my approach is fairly automated like i basically have a portal where i can look at the where i can look and and see like all the lines and how it compares to my numbers and like what i have my largest edges on um so then like you know what i have my largest edges on i share that with like either a mover or a betting partner of some sort because i don't want to um obviously i don't want to move the market on them um and then like for smaller things where i'm sort of like okay I can't, I mean, I can't, I can't send them everything because I just feel like the volume would be too large. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of variance and obviously variance is worse if you have a smaller edge. So I, I kind of, but I mean, an edge is an edge and I feel perfectly comfortable betting like tiny edges if I believe that they're, they're real. So I, I'll still go through like all my smaller edges and for the most part, I'll bet them. I mean, when it gets to a certain point, like, you know, it's like, well, even if I think the edge is real, like it's not even worth the time because, you know, like, now I'm just sort of like, <laughs> now I'm just sort of like, now it's just getting too laborious. Um, so that's what I did in the morning. And then um, for the most part, I'm done at that point. I mean, I will, I, 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 I won't actually watch the lines to see if like something opens up for the most part. I mean, I kind of do because I'm talking to other people um, who are also like saying, oh, what do you think of this? And like, you know, if we all agree, I'll probably try to bet it or something like that. But I've just sort of decided that I don't want to be too labor intensive because I'd rather use that time for like trying to work on models for other sports or something like that. Um, for the most part. Um, and, and I was, I was getting other sports at the same time that um, some of which were not at all in my time zone. So I, I had some times where I was waking up like at weird hours of the night to try to place pets. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, did you, does your approach for college basketball, is it, did you find more success with different sorts of leagues or different sorts of teams, or did you find that you were constantly betting on the same sorts of things? What were the, like, the difficulties you ran into when you were first starting? I think that's definitely the, the, you know, betting on the same teams and stuff like that. I think that's definitely the biggest difficulty I run into and when I worked most try to put the most work into to because into to, to see why that's going on and to see what I can do to sort of prevent that. Um, I mean, that's sort of like, you know, you never really want to be betting on the same team over and over again, because that probably means you're wrong. And even if you're right, at some point you're, the market's going to catch up to you because the market sees that you always like this team or whatever. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, when you're betting something where um where a lot of it comes down to just how good you think a team is 
that that's there's a little bit that's a little bit inevitable i mean the nice thing is that you don't really for college basketball the season's so short so you don't really know and your opinions will change pretty quickly i think because you know how how good a team is one year versus next year i mean there's definitely a good deal of variance in that i mean they what they cycle through a quarter of their players every year right um I so like how do you, how do you deal with that is that something that because in college football that same sort of thing happens although I guess slightly differently because the impact players, there's less of them, or maybe they leave less often. Um, was that like something you specifically had to address when you were doing the different models? Uh, you mean like having like a strong opinion on one team versus another? I mean, so more so the trying to figure out like how to adjust for the players always leaving that you just brought up. Like those are kind of oh. separate but similar problems in college football and college basketball. I'm wondering if like the right. approach to dealing with them was different or similar or difficult or anything about that really. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the pressures would be similar. I would think in college football, it's more important because I think it's more important in college football just because you have less games. So as a result, your opinion of the team at the beginning of the season is more like, like, you know, it's probably not, it's probably going to take a couple of games before your opinion, you know, of that team is at all based on what they've done this year. Right. Whereas college basketball, you know, you're going to quickly change your mind probably about a team because, you know, it's 30 games as opposed to 12. Um, so I think that that, so, you know, your priors or whatever you want to call it, I think those are definitely more important in college football than they would be in college basketball. Um, and that's, and, and I would definitely say right now, that's one of the things I'm most suspicious of, like in terms of my model, like the thing I trust the least about my models is definitely my preseason priors. The way that you're coming up with those in basketball, are you, you said you didn't follow sports much before. Are you still not really following sports and like trying to let the computer do the work or are you kind of following news or how are you going about trying to make these adjustments, you know? Yeah, I, I, I'm basically trying to let the computer do the work. Um, I, I've come up with I, I've come up with a new technique that I'll probably implement next season, but it still involves the computer doing the work. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I say I'm not that much of a sports fan. I was thinking about it. I mean, I like I'm probably still more of a fan than most of my friends, although. Growing up, I don't know if that was true. No, I, no, my, my, like all my friends, are, none of my friends are big sports fans. So like, it's not hard to be a bigger fan than that. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I do very little manual stuff. And even if I'm going to do manual stuff, I have to have some way of doing it that I feel is, feels somehow quantitative. Like I, I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to add a couple of points to this team because I feel like they're playing better than, than I think they are. Because that, that would be kind of arbitrary to me. Right. Okay. So would it be fair to say that right now you focus the most on college basketball, a little bit less on college football, and then other new sports? Or are there other basketball leagues that you're doing as seriously as college basketball where you think that the edge is really good and you're betting it frequently? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are other international leagues that I do try to do it seriously, but um, I mean, I guess I'm still sort of working out like what things I really will be able to get any money on versus what things just like aren't worth the time. Um, I mean, the international ones are just kind of fun in general, but um, 
they're not a big market. So, um, so whether or not it's really worth my time, I don't know. But I've definitely spent time on it because it's something different to do. And it, I mean, that in itself is like a worthwhile goal. I think like, you know, you obviously want to keep yourself interested in what you're doing, and you know, just having having only one thing is not a, a great way of keeping yourself motivated. Do you think that your approach works better for basketball than football? Say there was some sort of, or say there was some alternate league where you could get the same amount of volume as college basketball. Do you think you would be able to have as much success or is there something specific to college basketball or your knowledge of it or your modeling of it that you think makes college basketball your best sport? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I I haven't tried NBA yet, and I think that there are definitely reasons why I would run into problems with my current approach to doing NBA. But I mean, I think I think other I, I definitely think other 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 yeah. I mean, actually, no, it's a good question. I think college basketball, in a certain sense, actually probably would be my best. Like, um, I think my approach does work well in other basketball leagues, especially ones that like people aren't, don't have as much eyes and don't have as much betting interest. But I think there is something unique about college basketball that my approach does work best on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Is getting to the NBA like something that you want to do? Are you like aspirational to get to that? Or are you more, don't really care what you're betting as long as money's coming in the door, it's all good. What are your sorts of like goals and projects? What do you want to work towards? Or what is, what do you in five years want to look like in the sports betting scene? Um, well, definitely want to be betting bigger amounts. So that probably does mean bigger leagues. Um, I mean, just like maybe not five years from now, but maybe sooner than that. Um, I mean, when I think of NBA, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly thinking more of derivative markets. Um, just i don't know i mean just because somehow though in a strange way i actually think the derivative markets are kind of just more more fun um i can't really explain why i, I just feel like they are <laughs> the um, derivative markets yeah. being like first quarter first half stuff or like player prop stuff and live betting uh first quarter first half stuff maybe live betting but i probably wouldn't do that um not 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 the player prop so much i i haven't really any interest in, in going that direction at least yet um I mean, and hopefully at some point you can full game stuff in big markets, maybe NBA or maybe a completely different board. But I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends. I guess it all depends on like, you know, how the bankroll goes, right? I mean, if, if, if the bankroll gets to a point where like it's only worthwhile to do bigger leagues and that's what I'll have to do. Um, if I don't get to that point, I'm not sure any, any purpose in trying to, you know, open up that door until I really need it. Um, I mean, the nice thing is it's easier to bet, I guess, right? Like you, you don't, it, you don't have to, to necessarily network and, and bet with other people to do it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, yeah. So I would say like at some point, if I keep in the betting game, which would mean I, if I'm successful in keeping the betting game, I would like to be doing bigger markets because it just seems like you have to. Yeah. I mean, I guess it just depends on, your goals in the game, you know, what, what you're trying to get out of it or what you would be trying to do. But if making more money is the concern, then yeah, at some point you'll have to get, um, to bigger stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the other thing is right. 
I mean, you could look at it like, you know, well, what if you're able to just make enough in the smaller markets and just sort of like go on cruise control? I mean, that's sort of an awesome, but I don't, but I think we both know that cruise control just doesn't work. Like, you know, what you have might work, but it's not going to work forever. And it might not even work for as long as you hope. Um, yeah. So there's that. How do you think that right now today, does your college basketball betting strategy model, everything that's going into that, is it significantly different from when you were posting on betting talk and kind of like first starting with confidence or has it changed drastically? Are you constantly tweaking it or is it more like the model's working? We've got some big projects we're trying to add on, but for the most part, it's a computer doing the work that I've already done. And definitely the latter. I mean, it, it, for the most part, it's pretty similar to the to what I was doing before. Um, I have at least one major change that I think I will make to it, um, sort of inspired by the other things I've been working on. Um, and I have a couple other could be major changes that I that I'm going to investigate. That I like some that I sort of feel confident really should make it better. Some that I'm like, yeah, this is an interesting idea, but I don't really know. If this will work. Um, but I haven't had that much time to improve my model since I've started because I've been working on other things. But uh, but uh, hopefully that stuff gets priority. And yeah, I mean, um, I, it's definitely not drastically different. That's for sure. Like, I mean, it, I tweaked it a little bit like in the first half year I was betting, but, but, but since then, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's tweaks, nothing major. Like, the structure, I'd say that's probably a good way of putting it. The structure of the model hasn't changed. But I do actually have some ideas that would kind of change the structure, sort of, I won't say dramatically, but in a meaningful way. You said earlier that when you were first getting into it, that there were a lot of people saying data science, machine learning, stuff like that. But you have a quantitative background, you also said. Was that something you were refreshing on, relearning something new? Did you find it useful, hard to learn? What were your impressions from kind of that time? Right. And by the way, when I was talking about this stuff, I wasn't specifically thinking in terms of sports betting. That just seemed like a good pet project. Um, sure. Yeah. Just in general knowledge. Terms. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I would say, I mean, um, a lot of the specific material that I taught myself, most of which I don't actually end up using in my sports betting, but I would like to if I could find a way. Um, I didn't know per se, but it was pretty easy to learn because, I mean, because, I mean, the stats element of it, I mean, that I was all, that I knew, knew pretty well. So it was more like, like say, some of the algorithms I wasn't familiar with and how they applied the stats. Um, yeah. Um, are those the sorts of things that, you think are like useful to the way you model things? I mean, earlier I said that anything I've learned from that sort of arena, I don't think has been all that useful for modeling, but you probably know a lot more about it than me. So would you say that the learning, despite having a quantitative background already, what was that like to you? Did you learn it in college a little bit and this was more of it or were there new technologies? What is kind of the deal with that? Ah, okay. So, so first of all, I have a quantitative background, but but uh, I mean, my education is in a hard science, so I, I wouldn't have done, any, yeah, I wouldn't have done any of that stuff in college or grad school. I mean, the only parts I would have done are the, st the statistics part, which you, you use in science, but not 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 the 
not the part that strictly, not the part that we call data science. I mean, some of it, I suppose, like, you know, obviously linear regression, that, that was something I was familiar with. But um, I mean, I, I found this stuff interesting. Um, you, it's not, I, I, I find it very weird how like modern day, like how this stuff is targeted at everyone as if like, you know, I don't know, like as if, as if it's like, could be a new vocation. I, I mean, it, I mean, the math behind it's pretty sophisticated. And it seems to me that like, you, 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 if you don't really understand it, you're sort of just, you won't know if what you're doing is valid. I mean, I don't know. I mean. Yeah, it, I think it's kind of like a, there's a good opportunity, even if you didn't think it was useful, um, you can get kind of high paying jobs and people who have lower paying jobs than they would like. It's, it doesn't seem all that difficult to try and transfer into a data science career to pivot into that and maybe make some more money. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's definitely lots of employers looking for people who are quote unquote data scientists. Yeah. Um, and I think the employers usually too, it's more so that they think they're supposed to look for someone like that and they might not actually know it that well themselves. Um, at previous places I've worked, we've spent time trying to hire, you know, people like that. And a lot of the candidates are, you know, they, it's a mirage completely, but it works a lot. <laughs> you know, they'll get hired someplace and can't really do anything, but they've gotten hired right. and they're getting the paychecks. It's, it's a weird field because there's such a, there's such a gulf between kind of older people that are maybe running the business or are more senior and haven't learned this and younger people that, maybe have learned it or have maybe learned like a little bit of code or can steal someone's notebook and make it look like they're doing something. It's, it's a lot harder for people to understand if someone's good or not. Yeah. And, and I would say, I mean, that doesn't, I mean, that's not a problem specific to data science. I mean, I would say that's sort of like the buzzword economy in general, right? It's, especially with people who have CS majors. Um, like, I mean, I, like it seems like every tech firm I've ever dealt with in one way or another will have like all these requirements for what they're looking for. And it's like, that's a rather specific requirements. Like, Oh, have you done this technology or that technology? And it's like, you know, a good CS major probably could learn it pretty quickly. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a bit of a weird thing to me to, to sort of like, they'll focus on buzzwords as opposed to like the underlying like skill sets. Yeah. It's almost like a uh, modern version of, like a trade job where you're just going to college to learn some skills and then you're going to get the job to do them. It's very um, like goal oriented rather than educational or foundational or anything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this has a lot to do with like just how, how these, how, how like HR is typically set up too. Right. I mean, you'll have a weird thing where you have an HR department filtering resumes and they'll just go based on buzzwords because they maybe don't know any better. And then like the person who actually does the hiring, uses a completely different process. Um, which are all good reasons which are all good reasons to do sports betting if you can win, because then you you know, then you don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Right. <laughs> have you enjoyed the so how how long have you been betting sports as your profession? Um it depends uh, well it depends if you count count from the day I quit my job or it depends if you count from the day I started betting real amounts of money. So either two years or one year. Um, 
Gotcha. And is that something, does the lifestyle appeal to you? Is it something you like a lot more than when you were working in non-sports betting? Yes. Uh, it, there's a lot more freedom. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, I'm trying to think how, I don't even know if I can really go into it. I mean, like it's, yes. I mean, also like, also like being my own boss. I mean, that, that's probably the best part of it, but, um, you know, I mean, making your own schedule. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Um, it's, it's like, it's, it's just an obvious, like, I, I don't know what to say because it's like, it's just, a much nicer lifestyle right if, if you're making money <laughs> right how about the losing money part have you since you've only been betting a couple of years has it all been up have there been like downswings are you, is your volume so high it doesn't matter what's has like the the results been like or the emotional toll of the results is it easy for you to deal with making a bunch losing a bunch um are you always betting the amount you need to or are you ever like Oh, I'm nervous about this or what's kind of like the emotional side been like? So, I mean, definitely, definitely had, you know, definitely lost a bunch, definitely won a bunch. Um, you know, in terms of winning and losing the money itself, that the money itself, nah, the emotions of that never really bother me too much because, you know, I, I'm never in the position where, you know, if I lose the money. It's like, Oh no, I'll, I won't have any, won't be able to eat tomorrow or anything like that. But the, I would say the emotions are more about like, like, you know, worrying about like whether or not what you're doing is going to win long-term. And like, if you're going through a losing streak, for sure, like, you know, you, you got to wonder. Um, in terms of betting too much, there was a game where I, I would say I accidentally bet too much. Um, I bet a lot on I bet a lot on it, and then I bet a lot on the second half, kind of forgetting I already had a position on the first half. And I, that was a little bit of a sweat, but even still, like you know, you know, whatever. You know, the worst case is I lose some money. I, I think I think like the logistics of moving the money, like you know, you know, paying at the end of the week is the more annoying part than the actual loss of the money. Like, sure. <laughs> so, if you're saying that, like you know, if you lose all your money no big deal because it's not all your money how do you treat like your life bankroll versus gambling bankroll is it you started off at the beginning two years ago or three years however many years ago with like you know a hundred bucks and that's still the bankroll today or are you like taking out of it and adding to it how do you treat that bankroll because for me ah. like my bankroll is my life bankroll you know what i mean like I'm risking a percentage of my net worth not just like a percentage of my gambling bankroll i think of them as synonymous I mean, I, I'm similar, but so when I first started betting, uh, it's like two and a half year, years ago when I literally had no idea what would happen, I, I set aside, I'd say a small amount of money, more than $100, but a small amount of money. Um, and then when I got more confident, I like, like immediately dumped in more money, like tripled or quadrupled it just for my own funds, because like, if you're more confident, why wouldn't you put more money in it? Um, at, at this point, I haven't put I haven't put any more money in it since then. Um, it's it, I wouldn't say my bankroll is my net worth, but it's definitely a significant fraction of it. Um, and yes, if I lost my whole bankroll, I would be unhappy. How do you feel probably, about? Let's say that you like lost all your current gambling bankroll or something like that. How would you? Let's say that like next college football season, you start betting. Or I guess it would have to be college basketball, something you've had success with before. 
and you bet it and you just lose a bunch and kind of like run out of that gambling bankroll or it dwindles so much that you effectively run out of it. What do you think your strategy would be like if something like that happened? Would you would you consider stopping sports betting or just bet smaller or take a break or you would quit before it even happens? Do you ever think about stuff like that? I, I suspect I probably would quit before it ever happens, but at minimum I would take a break because that would be a lot to lose. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever taken a break in your career thus far? Not exactly. I've taken a break on some leagues, um, but I haven't taken a break. Except, I mean, I, not on college basketball, at least. I mean, I, I took. A, I suppose you could say I'm taking a break right now. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, a voluntary break. <laughs> no, I, I mean, not really. Or not because I've been losing. Uh, well, I mean, I, I would say for some of, some of these last season, I did slow down because things weren't going well, but I started those back up also eventually. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, not really. I mean, I, I'd have to kind of understand why I'm losing or, well, no, I mean, I guess I'd have to just lose confidence, right? Like, I guess you don't need to understand why you're losing because, I mean, the default is you should expect in general, you're more, you're most, yeah, I mean, I guess you I guess if you, you're losing and you don't really know why that might be a re- good reason to take a break, but um, it's hard, right? Like, you know, if you lose a bet, that's no big deal. You're, you're never going to learn anything from a single bet. I mean, you have to at least have a reasonable sample size before you can learn anything. But uh, then if you do go on a really long bad stretch, then yeah, I guess at some point you're like, even if, even if you still think you have an edge, you might take a break just because like, you don't understand. You, you, you know, like if you feel like, things have gone too bad for it to just be bad luck. You're going to sort of be in a situation where like, yeah, you might want to slow down. Right. On a Saturday in college basketball with say 150 games or 140 games, some regular amount of Saturday games, how many bets of a non-trivial amount of semi-significant amounts will you have during the day? Across oh, all oh. college basketball stuff, first half, second half, pregame, live, sides, totals, anything. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it depends on the cutoff in terms of like what you consider to be a significant bet. I, I would um, say no, something you would consider a real bet, like at least maybe like half a percentage of your bankroll or something that you would be like, oh. this is something. Well, not I, not I, like I, the little tiny bets if you only get little tiny in, but something that's not huge, but just a regular bet. I mean, I, I, okay, so I mean, I, I definitely don't actually bet in terms of my bankroll because that would be hard to do. <laughs> I mean, like, like just because of limits and stuff. Sure. <laughs> um, but I mean, when it gets to the point of the post and you've added everything up and you've got it, how many like sorts of bets do you have? Do you have action on uh, every game? Do you have no, 80 no, no. totals on 150? Do you have 25 first half total? Like, what is your sort of breakdown of the I, amount of stuff you're getting action on? I would say I'd have action on somewhere between 25 and 50% of the games. Okay. And is that something that's easy to keep track that you're usually like, oh, you know, I'm, I've got this team on and I'm against this team. Or is it more like, I don't really know. It was chaos. So I kind of bet on a bunch of stuff. I, you know, I remember these, but I'm not sure if I have anyone in this nondescript game. Right. Uh, it's actually a combination because, um, Certainly the bigger bets, I have a spreadsheet, you know, uh, the smaller bets, 
You know, I, I don't actually. I mean, it's like they're smaller bets. I figure if I'm winning with the bigger bets, the smaller bets, I'm kind of just going on faith and not actually tracking those very carefully. Um, I mean, I might remember if I bet on them because, you know, why wouldn't you? But but I won't be able to necessarily look at my spreadsheet and be like, oh, I I have, you know, there are definitely games where I forget that I have a position, but yeah. not but not a large position. I mean, if it's a large position, I'll definitely, I'll have that somewhere in one of my spreadsheets. So your betting is more so, you know, here's what I've got. And for whatever reasons, I'm just going to, this is going to be a full bet sort of thing. It's not like, you know, I want to bet X percent on this and Y percent on this. It's just like, I'm going to kind of bet the same on these things. And if the lines stay there, maybe I'll bet more later. Is it that sort of thing? Is it just because the college basketball market's limits? Like, let's say that everyone 10Xs their limits overnight. Now, does your betting strategy change completely? I probably, it probably changes, yeah. Um, but in general, my betting strategy is kind of like, I'll have a quote unquote one unit bet, which is like the most I'd risk. And then I'll have frack. And then, then anything with a smaller edge than the one unit stuff is uh, you know some like a half a unit or whatnot, and like I do, I don't really go over the one unit. I mean I, the idea is the one unit should be a fairly large edge, but I I do cap it because okay. I so don't know if, if you bet on Florida minus three and a half versus Tennessee, and then the line went to three, you would just keep it at one unit, and then let's say it goes to two. Are you ever adding against stuff at the end, or is it just like this is my one unit? I got my bet in. See what happens. Oh, I. Uh, I think the only situation where I'd add is if like initially it was a small edge and I say had like, you know, a half a unit on it. That's like, it became a bigger edge. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll put another half a unit on it. Are there ever situations in college basketball where you make a bet that you think is really good and then the line moves against you, maybe a half point or even a point or more? Does that happen never? Once a day? Never. Once a week? or it definitely happens. Uh, probably a lot. Probably not once a day, unless it's a Saturday. I'm sure it happens every Saturday. Um, but yeah, it definitely happens multiple times a week for sure. Um, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, if the line moves, yeah, my edge is bigger. But if, of course, I respect those. You know, I respect line movements, so I, I also need a bigger edge to be willing to bet it. So it, it's unusual for me to add too much for that reason, because like, if it was a big edge, I'd probably already have a bunch on it right to begin with. So I don't want to put more on it. If it was a small edge, then how big of an edge could it be after line moved, right? Especially if you account for the fact that, like, you know, you do, I, I do at least respect the line movements. And I do find that I win less. In all my testing, I've seen that I win less the later I bet type thing. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it, it would specifically matter on, like, high edge stuff you thought you had that moves against you. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I did a lot of that this year in college basketball, too not very good results so i think you're probably probably right um yeah the limits so, are a lot bigger at the end and you can get some nice bets off or seem like they're nice bets but um yeah i think that it's hard to know though because it feels like most people i talked to in college basketball this year were kind of thinking the same thing or were on similar sides and yeah i'm not really sure um yeah not really sure yeah and then, and then, i mean there's this huge thing with like stake variance right like so I, I don't remember which game it was but i remember it was probably some pack 10 team and i think i had a fairly large edge on it and it was near post and you know a pack 10 game like those ones actually are pretty i think it was like 10k limits or something maybe even more and it was like oh i could you know easily get a full position on this 
It's like, and I, I know, like, I, I might even be mathematically justified based on how I've done historically to, like, you know, you know, just put a ton of money on it. But then it's like, the only reason I'm betting big on that game is not because of the edge. It's because it's the edge, and that's one of the few games where, like, they'll just take a ton of money on it. Like, if I could put a ton of money on every game, I'd be more comfortable doing it. But if I'm just sort of randomly putting a ton of money on one game because that just happens to be the liquid market, that's not a position I feel psychologically comfortable with. Is modeling the market something you've like explicitly done before? It sounds like your approach is fairly qualitative or fairly kind of ad hoc. Have you ever thought about like trying to maybe further quantify, you know, oh, I think the edge is this percent, but the market's here at this time, and I think it, my real edge might be some other percent? Or are you betting early enough for it just hasn't really become an issue yet? I mean, I, you know, as I say, I, I do have some sort, sort of notion as to how sharp I think the market is at various times of day. Um, I mean, I kind of eyeball it, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess, I mean, you could specifically be like, you know, there's a bunch of things you could do to, to see like, right, there's a bunch of things you could do to see like how, how your numbers compare to like the market at say various times of day. Um, I, I mean, I've, I, I've done, I would say I haven't done much with that, maybe a little bit. Yeah, interesting. Um, so what are the sorts of, is there anything, I mean, I don't really want to go into anything too specific, but yeah, I guess I just want them. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So how did you pick your username to post under when you created the Poisson Sports uh, uh, so moniker? I, I basically was just like, I want to think of like a, a famous mathematician or physicist that was just obscure enough that like it wouldn't be completely obvious to everyone, but most people would have heard of him. Like I didn't want to do something like Einstein sports, right? That would, I felt would have been silly. <laughs> that would be a great, um, like town service though, <laughs> Einstein sports. I can't believe that doesn't exist. It probably does exist. That's too good of a name to pass up. <laughs> <laughs> it probably does. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if I had the pause on distribution in mind when I picked that, but that might've quickly, crossed through my head because obviously the Boston distribution is a, a big stats thing, which is certainly important. You know, stats are obviously important in your modeling sports. Um, and I guess I thought it sounded cool. I mean, I don't remember what other names I considered, but uh, somehow I, I came to that one. Is the Poisson distribution something that you use or it's just literally a random name from a semi-obscure? It's, it's, literally, it's literally a random name. I, I, gotcha. There was that question. There was that question, like, do I use Poisson? But my first reaction to that was like, he didn't say what. I mean, Poisson's famous for a bunch of stuff. I'm sure he met the Poisson distribution, but there's a bunch of other stuff he's famous for too. But no, I, as far as I know, I don't think I actually use any math by Poisson in my models. Um, do you think that the well, models that you use and have had success with, or even the ones that you're developing now, would you say that they're fairly math heavy or more math intensive than other professional sports bettors? Or where do you, where do you think your approach differs from other people that are betting college basketball professionally? Like I would say that our approaches seem maybe like mostly overlapping, but not a ton. Do you think that, where do you think you differ the most from the 
kind of consensus professional college basketball better? My my guess is, of course, I don't know because I don't really know what other people For sure, are doing it's all, all going to be guesses. Yeah, but what is yeah. your guess? My, my guess is that my approach is more mathematical. I mean, I assume it is. Um, and I assume to the extent I have an edge, that's largely why. Um, and when you say a mathematical approach, obviously you don't have to get into details, but what does that mean? Do you mean like you've taken higher level math classes and you know a lot of math concepts that others might not, and that has informed some of the decisions you've made? Or is it literally like the math that goes into creating this number is complex and it's complex for these reasons? It's more the first. Um, I have taken a lot of higher level math courses and I suspect I know more math than probably most other people doing this. Um, to the extent that it informs my models, I mean, it definitely informs them somewhat, but I don't know how much, like, because certainly most higher level math has literally nothing to do with this. Um, uh, but yeah, I, um, I wouldn't. So more of like a sort, your math is kind of a source of creative inspiration or it Yes. Okay. Yes, very much. Gotcha. Is that something you've tried to apply to other sports as well? Is that kind of your approach for everything you've been modeling? Yes. I mean, it, yes. And, and, and largely it's just because that's what I enjoy doing. So, um, right. And that's the way to keep motivated, right? Is to do something you find fun. Do you think that there's certain sports you've tried where that approach has failed you? Or do you kind of think that's categorically the right approach to take in most spots? Or have you had like successes or failures in different things you've tried? It seems like you've kind of tried a lot of different, um, different approaches or different sports in a relatively recent period and probably have had some failures, some successes and in college basketball, obviously like a lot of success, but how has the, that mathematical approach, have you ever noticed like, Oh, it's not as useful in this, or I'm able to use this concept in college basketball, but not in college football. I mean, I, right. I mean, obviously I think that there are definitely things that should not work in because obviously, you know, if it's just, something that's not described by, you know, a very complicated math and trying to use complicated math to describe it is, you know, the old adage that computer programmers have, like when all you have is a, what is it? When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I mean, that's definitely not a great idea. Um, so no, I don't think it would work categorically. Um, and it's only, I would say if there's any complicated math in my model, it's only in small tidbits here and there. At, at the end of the day, most of the stuff is fairly simple. Um, sure. Okay, so it's more like the edge cases or ways that you can model things that are maybe a little bit more difficult to figure out. Yeah, and, and, the, and the other thing is I would say in terms of just like looking for structure of a model, I mean, that sort of thing, even if the math doesn't isn't that complicated, thinking mathematically does sort of, you know, allow you to sort of approach things differently, I think. Where do you think that you differ the most to your weakness amongst other college basketball betters? Um, well, I, I think data, actually. I, I, that, and that's definitely one of the things I am most interested in improving. I, I think my, my data sources are probably the weakest, is my guess. I feel like the, the data I'm using isn't very proprietary at all, and, and it's got just lots of holes in it. Is that something you've thought about trying to create your own data yourself before? 
yeah, I mean, actually, in the, in the in the sport that I'm not mentioning, I'm I'm currently working on creating a sort of a data set that, in some senses, like I think, is sort of completely unique, like because it's just hard to find data for it. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to apply the same technique to college basketball, but I'll definitely look into it. So if it's hard to find data for, how have you been able to find it? Are you able to make it yourself out of other stuff or you just like, how, how would you, how would one acquire this data that, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously when I say it's hard to acquire, um, I, I, I can't mean, I can't, I don't mean, I'm not trying to imply that like I'm going to watch the game or something and like write down everything, but, um, I'm just saying that like there isn't a maybe one place you can go and get it and that you know it might take a certain amount of automation and certain 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 tricks to like actually be able to to get the data. Gotcha. So more so instead of you like making the stats, it would be more so you're just assembling something that no one has yet assembled. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Do you think that if say, let's say that sports don't return for another, let's say college basketball in November is not, um, is being played in a significantly different way. You know, maybe the season gets delayed till winter break or some right. leagues are playing, some leagues aren't. Do you right. think that those sorts of weird things that are going to happen or, you know, players testing positive and then getting out of the game immediately before there's going to be, you know, a lot of weird stuff happening. Right. Do you think your approach and your, I guess you as a person are well equipped to deal with that and you'll have more edge than usual, or do you think that that's going to be something difficult to deal with? And obviously again, we don't know, but (laughs) just your guess. Right. Right. Uh, My guess is, and it's definitely the thing I sort of am, haven't really decided as to what I'll do should we face a situation like that is my guess is I, my instinct is I'll have more trouble dealing with that than other techniques. Um, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, would I sit out a season? Maybe. Um, I haven't really decided. Um, that, that would definitely be what, that, I guess that comes more down to the art of betting, right? Like, you know, how to make judgment, like how to make judgments when you don't, have a great way of like necessarily quantifying what you think is the right thing to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll probably, I maybe I'll just bet smaller, play it by ear and try to guess as to like how well I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it definitely seems like it could be at least in the, the golf right now is fairly normal because they play outside. There's only, you know, 200 of them and it's pretty easy to, you know, stay away from people. But in some of the other sports, if there's, it just seems certain that there's going to be a lot of very weird things happening all the time that didn't happen in last season. Yet still, the market's going to be open and moving. Um, right. Yeah, it seems like the season might be a lot different. But then again, um, maybe not. Maybe it'll be mostly similar. Um, have you thought at all about, like, we have a question here in the Twitter chat from... I don't know what sport this is about, but I assume he's talking about basketball. How do you see a shortened season and no fans changing the dynamic of the game? Do you anticipate an increase in late news this year relative to other years? Um, is fans something that you've thought about? Is home court stuff something you've thought about? Or are you kind of, 
I guess, what have you been doing during the coronavirus? Are you thinking about this sort of stuff for college basketball or more so working on the new stuff? I, I'm, I'm working on the new stuff. I mean, I've thought about it to the extent that, like, I've thought about it, but I haven't – I don't know what I'll do, honestly. I mean, it, it does seem inevitable that it would matter. Um, I might try to model it. I don't know. Um, I, so, so the last couple months, then, when you've been working on the new stuff, is that – like every day you've been grinding that stuff or more like there's these abstract things I want to try to improve in my model and I'm not quite sure how to do it. What is the, the oh, day -day process of improving like? In this case, new stuff. Okay, in this case, there's two things. The, the new stuff I was referring to was actually refer, referring to a different sport. In terms of working on college basketball, I haven't done, I, all I've done you've, is actually- Okay, so I, you've literally done nothing in college, okay. So the new no, sport- The only thing I did in college basketball is I wrote up a bunch of notes for myself that I will review when I finally get motivated to start working on it. <laughs> okay. The new sports then, is that something that you're betting immediately? Like how has your approach to this been? It's, it seems like you would be kind of a slow and steady, but maybe not. How has yeah, the I mean, new I, stuff been going? Uh, the new stuff is, I would say, in the research phase. Um, uh, hopefully I'll sort of like reach a point that I call it not complete, but sort of complete like soon. At which point, um, I probably won't bet it per se, but I'll probably just track it. I'll probably be like, you know, that, that's actually what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm not going to bet it at first. I'm just going to sort of track it and, and sort of get a feel for like how well I think my stuff is working compared to the market. And then if I start to feel good about it, I'll start to bet it. And I, I get, I mean, to get a feel is, I guess, not easy because, um, I probably rely a lot on closing line value, I guess, because that's sort of the only thing you can judge with a small sample. And I don't know if I'm, I don't think I really want to wait a year or something to like see how well it does over a larger sample, but maybe um, it's, yeah, or maybe just start small. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so since betting talk ended, you, or I guess kind of concurrently, you were posting a little bit on Twitter but you don't post very often on Twitter. Are you active on Twitter during the day? Is that something you use for fun, for betting, for anything? Uh, no, I mean, I just, I just read other people's Twitters, tweets. And sometimes, very, very rarely, I'll retweet something. I think I retweeted something recently. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. I don't, even think it was, I don't even think it was sports related. What did I retweet? I do try to keep a low profile. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, going on this podcast is the opposite of. By the way, you're starting to really get a following. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, I, I mean, I think it's mostly that the people who follow it just like it a lot, or they follow it a lot. So it's like you have 20 intense fans or something, rather than right. like that. But I see the reach of the number, and I can see how many people listen to it. There's not many. Um, but again, the goal, that is not a goal of mine to get more people to listen. So I don't care. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Well, you definitely have a lot of high profile listeners. Let's just say that. Yeah, maybe legit top sports betters, if you will. Um, yeah. degen stories is it, you don't seem like you would have any degen stories. Is that a correct description? That's, that's probably more or less correct. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is I, I sometime last last season I did sort of 
come up with what I call a, a no regrets betting principle, which is like, you know, when I'm betting according to my process, there's not too much regrets. You know, you're just following a process and it works or it doesn't. But I mean, can't you kind of have to have some confidence in it. But, you know, I mean, some bets I do aren't aren't really mine. They're, they're other people's or um, or maybe there's some dumb idea I have. Uh, yeah, I can think of one that I did that was maybe dumb. I don't know. I don't know. If you might you might remember this game. You might have an opinion on it. Um, it was the London, was it the Yankees versus the Red Sox? Um, like they had that first game where it was like a ridiculous number of runs scored. And then like the over in the next game was just like, like something absurd, like 16 or 17. And right. I, I don't I remember that. Yeah. I, um, I think it was like 14 and a half or 15 and a half. I'm, I bet on it. I bet the under. And I think it was, the game was like 50 to 40 or something. <laughs> went, went over in like the first inning. Yeah, something like that. I bet the under also. Um, I was just like, I was just like, this can't be right. I mean, I, this, I mean, I get that they score a lot of runs in the first game, but I mean, like, really? Can't be that playing in London can't be that much different, right? <laughs> Apparently, it was. Um, yeah, Apparently I don't really follow the MLB, but I do remember that that game was. I don't remember what the total was, but it was a lot higher. Yeah, why was it so high, London? The stadium was smaller or something, or the wind was weird. Maybe it was the stadium. Maybe so. they played it in a soccer stadium or something. Well, I mean, obviously, obviously, the little I do know about baseball is that obviously the park makes a huge difference. Um, and so I knew, I know that there were a lot of people not sure like how to account for that. But uh, yeah, you'd have to have someone who's you know really knows this stuff well to tell us if they think like you know you should expect that to keep happening. Like, yeah, it's just a bizarre weekend. <laughs> That's the type of person who tells no one anything and is betting over 12, over 12, half, over 13 max orders on everything and laughing while they listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, is park, but, park factor something you've thought about in basketball before, whether in college, NBA, or any of the other leagues you've tried? Have you, do you think that different gyms have different effects? Is that something you've thought about? Is that something that informs your work at all? Um, I... I I will say it informs my work. I, I had thought about it a little bit, and I've definitely read stories where it clearly was the case, right? Like, um, there'll be, they'll, right? Like, there, I, I think it was, there was someone tweeting about, like, some tournament where, like, they were playing with strange basketball rims, and I forget what effect it had, but somehow it either made shooting much harder, easier, and, like, you could blindly bet either over or the under, and, like, you know, like, 70% of those bets won. Um, just because like the rims were different or something like that. Um, but I mean, that would be, I mean, I, obviously that, obviously that stuff matters. Um, you'd have to have pretty good data. I, I mean, I don't know how you count. I could think of ways to account for that, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about it, honestly. Um, I would have thought not if I hadn't looked into it, I would have thought that all basketball hoops are the same, right? Shouldn't they be? But I guess not apparently. Based on that one example, I know they're not. Um, yeah, I don't know how it works. I mean, it's actually kind of embarrassing. I feel like I probably should. The NCAA must have a policy on how the the basketball courts would, or rims are created, although maybe it's a conference-by-conference conference thing or even school-by-school school thing. I can't imagine that the NCAA determines say. all that. Did the NCAA even exist when like many of these places built their gyms? Well, maybe not, but... I mean the I mean the floors and the hoops those are those are all new right like I mean 
I, those are, you would think, would be the most dramatic effect, right? It's like the hoop in the floor. And I would think I, that they'd be identical across all of them, but I'm wondering if there's even, there must be an explicit rule. We could probably find it on like the NCAA website, right? Like this, these are the rims we use or these are the baskets we use. They must have like a supplier, so. you know? You would I wonder think so, if based on, but based on at least that one example that I remember where there was some shop taking advantage of that, apparently not. Um, I know like, when I was a kid, the Boston Celtics were known for like um, having like crazy floors that did weird stuff when the ball bounced. They always claimed it gave them an advantage because they knew where all the, all the weird spots on the floor were. Um, and that's the NBA where you think they'd be even more standardized, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It must, maybe the, maybe it's not enforced. I mean, I guess who would be enforcing it in, in Civil A, like walking around and seeing if the rims complied. Even if you bought the right hoop, you could have yeah. a sinister plan to adjust it in some way. Yeah, probably. Well, I, I, the Celtics are known for having plenty of sinister plans. Yeah. Um, Boston kind of seems it, like a sinister city. Would you say that's a <laughs> apt characterization of it? That's my impression when it comes to sports. <laughs> How long have you been living in Boston? Uh, half my life. Um, I, I went to grad school here and ever since. Nice. And it's someplace, I mean, you like, as a sports better now, you can kind of live wherever. Has, have you thought about like going somewhere else or traveling or you just sticking in Boston? Yeah, I mean, definitely my plan before COVID happened was to travel a lot, actually. Um, so that was my plan for the summer and the months after the basketball season ended. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm holding off on that plan for a while. <laughs> yeah, the basketball season was... The college basketball season such a grind, and to end the way it did, like, kind of at the end, but you don't really get a break. I don't know. It was a little unfulfilling. It would have been more fun if it had ended earlier or later. <laughs> I mean, I was fun when it ended. I just, I, I just don't like the fact that, like, I can't travel. But, um, yeah. but I, I, I'm not the only one complaining about that. Like, you know, we're all on the same. We're all stuck with this. I mean, yeah. Um, so what else, what else have you been doing outside of sports betting? Like, what else do you do during the day when you're not sports betting? It doesn't sound like it's an all encompassing activity day to day for you. Do you have, do you go running, biking? Is there like some other thing you're also doing or just kind of relaxing and are a well, funner, I mean, if you will? Since COVID hit, um, I've, I've actually made it a purpose to basically to go running a lot now. So that that's, I mean, I would like to travel, but that will have to wait until it's safer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been, I haven't been jogging much, but I've been jogging like every other day now for a couple months. So that's good. Um, and coding the rest of the time. And I mean, this, you know, a lot of, a lot of my hobbies, you know, get involved some element of social stuff that just isn't possible for a while. Right. But running doesn't. Running's great. I mean, until, until the weather gets cold, running is awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have, we've been going for an hour and 11 minutes here. Do you want to, are there any other topics that you think would be interesting that we could talk about? Um, no, I mean, I think it's good. I, the, the, uh, the, the one other thing I, I thought would, 
that I, I don't know if this is insightful or not, but the one other thing I thought I would add is something that the reason I mentioned that game, that London game and, and some other bets is like, you know, you might do some bets where you like, you don't really know, have a great feel for what your edge is on them. And like one thing, one thing I do worry about as a, as a gambler is like, you don't, cause I don't want to become, you know, a problem gambler. I can see that, you know, I can see that, uh, how it's easy to like fall into that trap, right? Like there, there's a reason why people do it. It's, 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 you know, there's something about the human brain, which makes it very easy to become a problem gambler. So I, at one point I was like, I really need to have some sort of rules. So like, is this, a, am I, am I doing a degenerate get bet or is this actually a bet I'm, you know, comfortable with? So I, I'm curious if you have a rule like that, but the rule I came up with is I imagine myself in the future after the bet loses, if, and if the belt loses, do I feel like, you know, that was a, such a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. If, if that's my gut reaction, then it's like, that's not a bet I'm comfortable with. If it's like, oh, no, I just did, didn't win whatever, then it's like, then I feel like, okay, I, you know, that I, I followed it probably a, a process I was comfortable with. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really, I feel like every bet I make is kind of like that. <laughs> you know, I feel like I don't really ever know if anything's good. I feel like sometimes, especially as you start betting like later and later and are fading steam for your plays, it, I'm always like, I must be missing. You know what I mean? Sometimes you yeah. see stuff that is like, yeah, you know, like Bryson DeChambeau in golf this week is an example where like he used to be, you know, maybe the, when he was a kid, he was pretty good. You know, one of the 50 best juniors. And then when he was in college, he was solid. And by the time he was a senior in college, he was pretty good. And then he came on the PGA Tour, and he's kind of the 25th best or something like that. And he gets up to maybe being the, you know, close to the top, but not quite the top. And then during the break for the last few months, he's gained a lot of weight and started hitting the ball farther. So he's kind of a different person, if you will, or a different type of player. And... It's one of those things where I feel like I'm quantifying it correctly and well and thinking about it a lot, but sometimes like the sort of stuff that you're against is always that same sort of stuff, you know? I, and I wonder if it's like the sports betting market is inefficient, but then, you know, you could have bet infinite money on this. So it's just tricky to know, and I haven't been doing it long enough to, because like, if I'm right, I will just have infinite money at some point in the next, you know? one to 10 years, depending on how right. good you run. So because I'm not at that point yet, I don't know, but for sure, I would say that almost every bet I'm making is like, I don't know if this is good or not. You know, I have a number that I'm estimating the edges that I'm like right. betting pretty quantitatively, but it feels like sometimes when a factor is so obvious, like this London game is going to score a bunch of runs it seems to me that even when properly adjusting for those sorts of crazy factors, the market's always like, I can never ever get my model to see it that way. You know what I mean? Like it's, I'm almost doomed to, to always be fading that stuff. And I just don't really know. I, on some of the stuff that I know well, like if it's something in college basketball or golf, I feel like I can quantify it very, very well. And I can still be miles away from the market or not miles, but a fair amount. So yeah, I don't know anything about baseball. So that London game was, I mean, I think I put some small amount of money on it just because I had nothing to do, but yeah, on most bets, it's like, 
yeah, you, you're fading someone, you know, someone thinks it's no good. So that's definitely always tricky. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like this principle I have, isn't so much like, was your bet, you know, correct to the extent that a correct bet even exists or did you miss something? It, it's more like, did you feel comfortable with your process or did you feel like you were over the edge and you're just sort of becoming a degenerate gambler? Do you see the difference? Yeah. Like this, this isn't about like evaluating like, Oh, did I miss some key fact? I mean, obviously you don't want to miss, miss a key fact, but this is, <laughs> this is more of a psychological principle to, to make sure you're keeping yourself honest and not somehow falling into the trap of becoming a problem gambler. Which... Yeah. I feel like the degen stuff is more, unless you're a true degen, which I am not, and you are not, most of the degen stuff is more like, you know, I think I have a 10% edge, but I've been doing this long enough to know that I don't have a 10% edge. But like, I'm pretty sure I have some edge, so whatever, I'll just bet it. I think it's those sorts of things where you have an imperfect knowledge and you're fine just kind of passing over stuff and being like, well, you know, it's probably still good. Um, and when you lose, if you like go on downswings and stuff, it becomes a lot harder to think that way. And then just as you learn more about the sport, I feel like you just, you get the degen beaten out of you a little bit every day because you just know a little bit more than you did previously. Unless you're kind of like a true degen, a natural a natural degen yeah. or something, which I've met a couple in my life. We may I have mean, even I, had one on the podcast before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for the most part, I'm guessing you like me probably, I mean, I don't think I could really become a problem gambler, but you know, I just want to be careful. I mean, yeah, I think the thing about being an actual degenerate gambler or problem gambler, I think the thing that really underlies it is you make a bet and you expect to win, right? Because that, that's why the people chase. It's not, right? I assume, I assume they're expecting to win. They're not like, oh, I have a 55% chance of winning. Problem gamblers? I, yeah. I don't think they expect to win, do they? You don't think so? I mean, maybe they expect to win. I don't know. I thought it yes. was more like an addiction, not like, shit, I'm running yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, it is an addiction for sure. But I, I felt like the part of the addic addiction principle is like, okay, I, I, I'm down 20K or whatever. I need yeah, to make I, it I think that the, this, this, this thing the is defining characteristic. Well, I think it's more like, I've heard people say this before, where they'll say the phrase like functioning alcoholic. Um and I feel like alcoholics and problem gamblers are kind of the same where the problem is the not functioning. The problem of problem gambling is losing. Like if you looked at yes. my bets, you would think I was a problem gambler, but then you would look at the money and you would be like, oh, this doesn't seem like that bad a problem. <laughs> so I've always been kind of the same thing with functional alcoholic when people say that. It's almost like, what does that even mean anymore? Like if well, you're I'm still, you know what I mean? I think a problem gambler, so the way I understand a problem gambler is, is, is what you're trying is to me, there are two things that could make you a problem gambler. One is you're gambling for the, for the adrenaline rush of maybe winning or losing money. That, that definitely seems like a problem if you're doing it for the adrenaline. And the other is if you're convincing yourself that something's a lock, like that also seems like, cause that's almost never true. Yeah. I feel like we are just miles away from really knowing much about problem gambling the <laughs> exact opposite. <laughs> so Fair I don't know. <laughs> but, but there is always this fear in my mind that like, I want to make sure I stay miles away from it. Cause like, yeah. I, interesting. I, I've never really thought about that. Maybe that means I'm more likely to become a problem gambler. Um, I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I do think that people are quantitative. It's hard for them to become problem gamblers because you don't sort of have this idea that something's a lock. 
I feel like that's some element of the problem gambling is that you really think you can't lose. Otherwise, I don't know why you would like do it. Or maybe for the adrenaline, I suppose. I don't know. There was a discussion on Twitter the other day um, about the movie Uncut Gems, which involves some problem gambling. So maybe we'll have to have um, digs on the podcast to Aha. Or Adam have him explain that. Yeah, or Adam Sandler. Did you see that movie Uncut Gems? I haven't yet, but maybe I should. It's on Netflix. I watched it um, just kind of randomly one afternoon. It's um, it's definitely an odd movie that inspired a lot of reaction from people because it was an Adam Sandler movie on Netflix. They thought they were getting one thing and they got something quite different, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything else. Yep. Seems like a good place to stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully neither of us ever turn into bad problem gamblers and keep the, the good problem gambling going. Exactly. Good problem gambling. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. This was great. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Brian. And we will talk to you later. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Bye.